then, yes, here we are. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> hi, and welcome to True Baloney. Hello. Uh, hi. So, we're, we're new at this. Obviously. Obviously. You should never start any new enterprise with an apology. Right. So I'm going to blaze forward. And we're, this is, there's no apologies. We, we're, we're rock stars. I'm Peter Palermo. I'm George Manning. And uh, this is George's idea. We're doing a show. It was your idea. It was. I admit it. Um, in which we hope to find real people who will come into our studio here at McKendree University. Lovely in Lebanon, Illinois. In, the, in Lebanon, Illinois, in the, uh, the Heil Studio, which is a broom closet. <laughs> it's a lovely closet. It's a, lo- it's a big closet. It is. Big and enough for room three. For, big, yeah, big at least three, three people. Yeah. So anyway, in uh, which we get these people to come tell us their amazing stories, which they may have indeed actually fabricated. We want you to come tell us your story, and at the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us. And yeah. please do. And and if it and if you have to make up a story to be on this podcast, I say go for it. Make up a story. Just make it make it believable. And Peter and I will listen, and we will judge. <laughs> and we'll give you notes on your story, <laughs> how you can embellish it. <laughs> right. Well, actually, the lizard should have been larger. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so we're going to, uh, we are going to go directly to an episode right now where we taped a couple of weeks ago. That's right. And we talked to a retired Air Force colonel who had an experience that nobody, almost nobody gets to experience. He worked in the silos where they have nuclear missiles that are ready to be shot at our enemies. He had his finger on the trigger of our nuclear arsenal. Literally. Literally. Had that happen. And uh, he has a number, he told us about that, and he told us about one of his colleagues, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we think it's very interesting. It's good stuff, so um, we hope you enjoy it. So that's what we're going to go to right now, and then we'll come back after that and talk to you some more. Okay. All right. Welcome. We're here. It's it's rolling. Okay. <laughs> and is, am I? Good... You're on. You're good okay. to go. Uh, welcome, everybody. We have an amazing guest today. We are here with Tom. No last names. Sorry. No last names. We're you know he's got some crazy stuff to tell us. And uh, Tom is a veteran of the Air Force. And even in the military, he has gone places and done things that very few people have done and he's going to tell us all about it welcome tom thank you and uh so so what are you what are you here to tell us about where where were you i'm here to talk about my time that i spent as a missile combat crew commander in uh, minot north dakota for four years Uh, how i got there my first assignment as a second lieutenant was at the Air Force Accounting and Finance Center in Denver, Colorado, and they passed around a piece of paper looking for volunteers to get into the missile business because it wasn't the most popular business, but it offered a free master's degree. 
So being young and innocent, I signed up, and next thing I knew, I was driving with my wife to North Dakota. And uh, I trained as a deputy combat crew commander, and then eventually, uh, as I got promoted to captain, became a, a missile combat crew commander and spent four years up there. And this is what, what time frame are we this talking about? This is probably 1967 to maybe 71. Yeah, yeah. During, you know, uh, Cold War, after the missile, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and, uh, you know, there was a lot going on. And Minot is famous for, like, being the Paris of North Dakota, right? Oh, well, we used to say uh, Minot is not the worst place in the country, but within walking distance. <laughs> the, the state tree, we used to think, was the telephone pole. And the state bird was a mosquito. But uh, we did have very nice housing at the military base there, just my wife and I. And we had a duplex, three bedrooms, a basement, and uh, hardwood floors. It was very nice. But there wasn't much to do unless you liked hunting and fishing. We're talking about Miniman 1 ICBMs. And um, uh, in Minot, uh, there was 150 missiles uh, split up between three squadrons. So each squadron had... Um, 50 missiles, and each individual capsule had 10 missiles. In other words, uh, you had a commander and a deputy commander that were responsible for 10 missiles in one one unit. And, like, any idea, like, what kind of warheads we're talking about? Like, I don't know. Did they, did uh, they train you about that stuff? or? Well, um, no, they really didn't train us too much. We knew they were very powerful warheads, <laughs> but they would take care of whatever you wanted to take care of. Like and, Moscow. <laughs> Well, uh, the targets were uh, top secret, and, uh, you know, with 100, 150 missiles, they weren't just all uh, targeted towards, say, Moscow. They were all over Europe, really, and, um, you know, I would say, I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure Cuba. So uh, uh, we had everything covered pretty good. So what happened, you had, uh, say, if I was a commander, I had my console, and there were... Um, 10 lights for each missile. It said on alert, off alert, inner security, out of security, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And my deputy commander uh, sat not next to me, but down the hall, or down, not down the hall, but over to the right. And we both had a key, and we both had a combination lock for a safe that was above the deputy's console. And if we would get the um, uh, go-ahead to launch a missile, you would have to open the safe, we both had our combinations, and then you would pull out the uh, instructions, and depending upon what would come over, you know, the uh, radio, the HF radio, uh, Alpha, Charlie, Echo, we would match that with uh, what we had out of the safe, and it w if it was the same, that would mean we were going to launch these missiles, okay? And, um, you know, we would have to uh, turn our keys at the same time, both of us, to launch the missiles, and then um, they would go their separate way and do their thing. And were they like on opposite sides of the room? Because like he couldn't ki he couldn't no, kill he, you and turn both. No, no, no. Keys we were anything. both armed, but yeah. um, you know, you're both armed with 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 sidearms. Yeah. yeah. And we're down there alone. I mean, there's nobody can get down there. There's a ten ton blast door that lets people in, and we're the only ones that can you know open that and have people come down from upstairs um so um yeah we could not launch one person could not launch yeah. in fact uh we both would have to uh, turn at the same time and if two of us did decide for some crazy reason to launch 10 missiles 
you would have to have two others from another capsule launch also. So you'd have to have four people turn the keys at the same time. Mm -hmm. If we turned our keys, there was an inhibit switch that anybody in the squadron could turn and that would stop the launch from you know taking place. When the deputy had uh, 10 toggle switches, which were lock wired, and you would have What does that to, mean, lock wired? Uh, wired shut, like there was a little hole through the toggle switch and it was okay. tied down. So you couldn't accidentally flip it up. But then you would have to, you know, we had our little pliers to uh, cut the lock wire, and then you would arm one, two, three, all the way through ten. And uh, one time, you know, uh, when I was a deputy commander, my commander was kind of an interesting gentleman, and uh, he decided to, one night that he wanted to arm the missiles, which uh, meant that he was going to cut the lock wire and just arm them. Well, of course, that went off on the other squadrons, and we were getting calls all over, what are you doing? And then, you know, obviously there was no danger because you weren't going to launch anything, but you're not supposed to arm the missiles, okay, which means the warhead's live and ready to go. So, um, And it's right there. Well, it's not right next to us, but it's all over uh, the area, you know, within... You got 10 of them. Yeah, we got 10 of them, and they're all separate, different places. Yeah. yeah maybe within 10 to 20 miles outside of where we are. And um, so he, uh, at, that was kind of interesting. Uh, he disarmed them and then lock wired them again. But uh, that was something that I don't think too many people would, would do. And did, did he get in trouble? I mean, people are calling in, but. No, but no, nobody ever said anything. It was just dropped. So, uh, you know, everybody kind of kept it to themselves. Well, so did he say why? I mean, he said he was no. an interesting guy. Was he, does that mean he was a scary kind of guy? Well, uh, him and his wife were very intelligent, and um, um, his wife, we, uh, we were in training, and uh, his wife used to come in on weekends and bring an animal in or something, and she was in biology, and she'd sit in the office and cut this thing up and examine it, which I thought was kind of unusual. Like, instead of, like, knitting or yes, anything, like she's dissecting her, an animal. Instead of knitting, she was dissecting uh <laughs> A thing, whatever it was. Okay. You know, I don't mean a dog, okay. but some kind of little critter. varmint or critter, critter, you know, which uh, I just kind of stayed away from. But the unfortunate thing was that uh, her husband, I guess apparently they were talking about a dual suicide, and oh, wow. um, this happened um, on a weekend. And uh, he was very intelligent, you know, passed all the tests with flying colors and that sort of thing. But uh, he, uh, they sent their one daughter, I believe, to daycare. I remember this was on a Saturday, I believe, and then uh, uh, his wife uh, was supposed to commit suicide, and there was a hangman's noose in the garage for him. And basically, um, she connected the vacuum cleaner hose to the uh, exhaust of, a, of the vehicle and just, uh, you know, inhaled the carbon monoxide. And I believe someone said that, you know, she wrote a note that said, you said it wasn't going to hurt, it's kind of burning. And oh man, you know, she died. Wow. Well, the interesting thing was he did not uh, follow through with the um, hangman's news. He backed out of the suicide pack. He backed out of the suicide pack as best I can remember. And um, um, then within a month or so, he married another girl down at <laughs> Minot General Hospital. Man. So um, wow. an interesting guy. And he's got a key. Uh, he's got a key. He had and, a key. And, yeah. and he armed all the missiles. Yes. He was uh, 
on alert during this time. Wow. And, uh, you know, we all have to go through a human reliability testing, yeah. and it always amazed me that um, he never was taken off alert. I mean... Uh, uh, Even after his wife killed, right, killed yeah. herself. I mean, there was a period of time, the funeral yeah, and all yeah, that, but yeah, then yeah. he came back uh, and pulled his, his uh, duty. You know. So was his uh, his little stunt with the um, toggle I mean, switches, was that before or after That was wife? before. That yeah. was before. So, um, wow. Yeah, I was a little nervous out there with him sometimes. Because, again, <laughs> uh-huh. I was a deputy. I was the number two guy at the time. And, uh, you know, he's got this weapon. I'm thinking, what's he going to do, shoot me some night or whatever? But yeah. Uh, Nothing else happened, and, um, you know, we just moved on, and uh, I believe he got transferred somewhere. So when I became um, commander, and then I had a different deputy, and it was and that fine, man you know. became, you know. <laughs> I, that man, I don't know what. Air Force chief of, <laughs> chief of staff today. It was very yeah. interesting. But, you know, when we were down there, we would, uh, if you weren't in the master's program, I mean, you could do crossword puzzles, read a book or whatever. Um, we would, uh, after we took over, Unless somebody was coming down for maintenance or something, we'd probably just change our sweats or our pajamas and just relax down there and uh, just watch the 10 missiles because there wasn't much else to do. No TV. Know? No TV. You know, we could listen to the uh, uh, radio. We could talk to the other squadrons. And, in fact, if there was other people in the master's program, we would, uh, you know, compare notes if we were studying together that night. And uh, we could also listen to, at that time, the B-52 was... Uh, aircraft uh that was uh going at that time and they had the squadron up there and we'd uh listen to the flight crew you know talking when they were flying because they were up in the air 24 hours there was always some b-52s up there ready to you know go on alert if they had to do something and did did that seem redundant to you that you've got these missiles to launch but there's also they got they got it covered because they have the B-52s ready to launch at any time. They're up in the air, and yeah. so you're just like a fallback of a fallback. Well, I don't know. I mean, you got two different types of systems here. you got, um, you know, the B-52 where you're dropping bombs and that sort of thing versus a missile. And at, at that time, I mean, everyone was so, you know, we had, um, um, what do you call them, the underground here. People were building shelters. Yeah, shelter, fall, yeah fallout, fallout shelters. shelters. Yeah. And people were very concerned about that. So, Well, don't forget, George, too, outside submarines, too, doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah, you know? okay. I, don't, I don't think it was an overkill, but yeah. if uh, something happened, you had an, another method to uh, choose from or use. If Mutual assured destruction. That's right. right. That was okay. the strategy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad it didn't work. Yeah. Well... It or did. maybe it did work. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't, they didn't yeah. test the yeah. destruction part. No. Yeah. It was, Un- untested. One thing with the uh, B-52 pilots, we could hear their conversations, and it, it was interesting because, you know, up there the skies were so clear when it was uh, at night, and very often they would say they would see an unidentified flying object, uh, couldn't identify it, didn't know what it was, you know, whether it's a light or a blinking light, something like that. And I often wondered, you know, what all these things were, if it was just, uh, you know, a shooting star or anything like that, but... Uh, they would never report it because they were worried that if they reported that more than once or so, that they might be taken off crew, you know, and have to be psychologically examined. But uh, 
Uh, that never happened, but it was interesting to listen to those conversations. But all the time, they're finding UFOs, and they're talking about it on the radio, and then they get back and they say, oh, no, never mind, I'm good. I, I just Well, it just stays between them yeah. and, and the aircraft, you know. It was either a light, an unidentified light, or it wasn't one of the other planes. Something was up there. They saw something, you know, in the, in the sky that uh, wasn't another plane, or they didn't know what it was. What so. do you think it was? Uh, I don't know. I was in the capsule in a hole underground, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Which reminds me, someday we've got to get somebody in here to interview about the UFOs over Lebanon. Do you know that story? I do not know that story. Know you know story. about that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a whole other show. Okay. We've got to find somebody who can tell us that story. Okay. So, so you always see in the movies how they would do these psychological tests of these missile crews to make sure if they'd really launch, right? They'd right. really, when yeah. it came time to do it, that they would do it. Did, I mean, did they go all the way with you guys while you were down there and do any kind of mind games with you like that? No, they really didn't do any. It was very serious. And, you know, you might have read recently some of the problems. I think it was at Minot where uh, some of the crew members got uh, uh, fired or thrown out of the Air Force because they were cheating on their test and that sort of thing. I never saw that happen when I was there. We were very serious about it and uh, took it very serious and uh, you wanted to pass your simulator test and do a good job but uh, um, you know it was interesting when I look back it was very interesting. At the time it was just another Air Force job that I was doing. I didn't think that much of it but uh, I think most of the people if they had to they would turn the key. You know, Um, You don't know until the time comes really. What was that? <laughs> that was the signal. Maybe we launched a missile. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There they go. We have 30 minutes. <laughs> well, because, I mean, Scott, we're, we're only, yeah. how many miles from Scott Air Force Base are we? Probably Ten miles. Six, yeah. seven yeah. miles. Yeah, yeah, so we're a target right here. Uh, I'm sure we are, you know. Um, what, from Putin? I, uh, well, sure. Do you think? Or, um, you know, King Jong-un. Yes. Don't say that on the tone. Oh, I'm sorry. He's going to hack us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so you're you're down there. Yes. You're in your pajamas. Or sweats. Or sweats, or underwear. No, we normally have sweats or pajamas, or we didn't go around in our underwear. Okay. At least our guys didn't in that. Sure, sure. Okay. And, um, and did anyone ever come banging on the door while this was happening or an alert comes through and you're, you know, are you prepared to launch in your pajamas? Sure. The, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doesn't, wearing. I doesn't care if I'm in uniform or not. You know, at that point, it, nothing really matters. But nobody could come down because there was a 10 ton blast door that separated us from the people upstairs. Remember, we were far underground. Mm hmm. So if somebody wanted to come down, they would call us and say, hey, we got two maintenance men. they got to check out the digital data machine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, we would have they'd give us a code so we knew it wasn't somebody trying to get down here, okay? Okay. And then if, they, if it was okay, we'd press a button. That would open the elevator. They would come down. And then we would have to open up the blast door and let them in. So right. nobody could get down there that quickly, really. It took a yeah. little time to get down claustrophobic i bet uh yeah it could be i mean that's something that never bothered me but i'm sure uh you know it, it could uh, maybe some people yeah. when they uh you know when we first trained we went to um oh a base that closed in illinois for like six weeks and then you went to vandenberg to get training you just didn't go and become a missile combat crew commander but um 
I'm sure maybe some people when they got in the simulators, uh, maybe they did feel claustrophobic. I don't know, but uh, I didn't have any. So when I was in in your com- in your compound. Was there actually a missile attached to where you guys were? No. So no. you were just just command. We were the control center. The control center, and then the missiles were all out yeah, there. Yeah, they used to call it the out. LCC, the Launch gotcha. Control Center. Gotcha. And then our ten missiles would be out, you know, separated just out in farmland. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you'd be in the middle Somebody's of farm. Somebody's farm pasture. Right. And it'd just be, uh, you wouldn't see much because you just have a fence around it and you got the, yeah. you know, the, the it's yeah. all underground again. So yeah. if we hit the launch button, the, the top would pop off and then the missile would go. So. Okay. And what is your wife doing this whole time? I mean, you were up there for a long time. She must have been bored out of her mind. Well, um, she didn't have any, any animals to dissect, did she? <laughs> No, she didn't. We had our first child up there, and um, uh, she was busy raising uh, Jeff and um, got involved with the uh, women's activity on base, uh, officer's club, the wives' club, and did a lot of those things. And uh, I missed the professional sports, whether it be Mm -hmm. baseball or football. And they only had – when we were up there, I think they only had one channel. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I think – one time in four years, I saw a Saturday baseball game when they, I think it may have been the Cardinals. And um, that's your team for you those of you who yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but it was funny because <laughs> it, it was really a backward television station. And one night they uh, uh, were doing the weather, and there was a circus in town. And all of a sudden, you see this monkey walk across the uh, TV with the weatherman. I what the hell's that? And then he said, Oh, we got the circus in town. And we have a few animals, so you never knew what to expect. I mean, I tell you, I grew up in Nebraska, which is, uh, you know, we would think, when Nebraskans think of someplace that's the middle of nowhere that they can thumb their nose at, it's North Dakota. I mean, it's like, there's... No, there's nothing there's out nothing. there. Nothing. It's just yeah. flat, Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, have, have we missed any really juicy stories here that... Uh, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> you know, there's always something that went on. We um, were supposed to be sleeping, and I craw- crawled up above the capsule and came down right in front of the commander at his console and scared the living hell out of him. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so we have some fun. I mean, what are you going to do when yeah. you're down there for 24 yeah. hours mm-hmm. if you're not studying? I mean, I mean do really you guys play play. cards? Or oh, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. play cards, do yeah. whatever you want. Know, but you have or, to like the guy. Oh, yeah. And were there guys that you didn't, I mean, like maybe the, the crazy guy who. Well, the crazy guy, I mean. <laughs> but were there other guys who's like, oh, I pulled this guy, I've got to go out there with this Yeah, guy. there was some yeah. of that. But most yeah. of them, most of us were in the graduate program, so we'd be studying. Yeah. And if if I was and the other one wasn't, he, he would just read a book or read Leave a magazine alone, and, yeah. you know, talk to some somebody else in the squadron. I mean, you yeah. could talk for three hours in the evening if you wanted to. But, uh, it's like ham radio or something like yeah. that. I mean, yeah. Did you ever have an open house? Like, could your wife come down there and take a look around? Actually, they did have. Uh, actually, my parents came up to visit one time, and uh, uh, you can, you know, get them a pass just like you do to get on Scott Air Force Base now. And they came down to huh. tour the capsule. They can't look at anything, you know, that's top secret. But all that's put away somewhere, you know. Yeah, so, yeah they have tours. I think probably still do. 
And your parents didn't have any, like, spy cameras? They didn't? No, no, no. They they check you out for that. Okay. <laughs> no spy cameras. I just, you know, I would hate to learn that the true story here yes, was that your indeed, parents were Russian spies. Right. No, I, I don't think so. Well, they're no longer with us, but... Um, I don't. I think they were good American citizens, and you know, that's good. Didn't have to worry about anything there. Did they do a background check on more than just you when when you're going through this uh, to make sure you're not a rusky? Oh, they. I mean, the background check is pretty pretty thorough, just like any background check. You know, we all had top secret clearances, so you got to talk to your neighbors, yeah, talk to people. You know, say how is this guy? Is he normal? And you know, except for that one commander that. Was a little different. I guess he was normal at the time. I don't know, but uh, it's kind of sad, really. Well, so I, I, the thing I learned from that is something I hope never to put into action, which is if you're in a suicide pact and you're you've got the you've got the hose pipe and you're in the car, the car has two seats. Why don't you get in the car yeah. with me and sit next to me? Yeah. Oh no, I'm yeah. going to do it yeah, this yeah. way. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you ensure the suicide pact. I, I don't know how you uh, mutual assured destruction somehow. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh man, it was, don't go first. I think is the yeah. Don't go at all, folks. That's the message we're trying to tell you right now. It was interesting. <laughs> well, um, thank you, Tom. Not a problem. I hope I opened your eyes a little bit about uh, yeah. sure uh, missile duty. Um, we laughed a little bit and had a good time, but it is a very serious business. And uh, for the most part, you know, all these people uh, do a good job. They're well-trained, and they know the details, and, you know, the tech orders are very familiar with all that sort of stuff. It's just uh, that it can be boring at times because there's not a whole lot to do once you're trained. It continue to be proficient. You just need to be prepared to... Do something that you hope never happens. And it's still doing it. I mean, yep. this is yeah, there's yep. train guys hard down there right now. Train hard yep. for some, a job you hope you never have to do. That's, that's uh, correct. Yeah, that's. So. Uh, well, I'm glad that um, all those mutual assured destruction hours and dollars got you a master's degree anyway. That's so. right. That was that was a good part. Um, uh, but yeah. So well, thanks for the opportunity to talk. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. This so awesome. uh, we'll we'll sign off, and uh, George and I will uh, be back in a second to wrap it up. And uh, thanks, Tom. After okay. This thank message you. from Squarespace. <laughs> wow, we hope you enjoyed that. I thought that was really interesting, and I thought Tom was a really good storyteller. Tom's a good storyteller and a good guy too. Absolutely. Uh, because he's listening, we want yeah, to make sure he knows that. that. We're going to say that. So um, no last names. We don't want any trouble with anybody in a uniform. But we'd secretly be delighted if, <laughs> the, if we did have trouble because that would mean that somebody listened. <laughs> because there are literally, and I'm going to stop saying that too many times, dozen of you who are about to listen to and enjoy this. Absolutely. Many of you uh, share genetic material with me, probably. Probably. That is to say. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> That is to say that we're related and not anything else. Oh, okay. Is that is that what that meant? What that okay, meant. good, good. Um, so, but I, I enjoyed Tom's story. I particularly enjoyed the story of the suicide pact that wasn't. I really want to catch up with that guy and find out what he's up to, what he totally. was up to, what his life was like. 
Is he happy? Was it a plan? Was it his plan from the get-go? What happened to the new woman? Oh, wow. Do you think... What if she also committed suicide? I don't know. I mean... This is a movie. Somebody needs... This is a screenplay waiting to happen. Yeah, write this one down. The crazy guy who... Yeah, this is is a good one. It's totally, Uh, totally creepy. Who would play the creep? Okay, well, see, that's... I think about that all the time, and what I always think is that you have to get somebody unexpected. Uh Uh-huh. Um... Because then it really ups the creep factor. Right. Like um, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, but he, I mean, I guess, I don't know. He's He was so smarmy in uh-huh. some other movies. Right. I could see him doing yeah. it. Like yeah. um, Wedding Crashers yeah. was yeah. his first big one. And yeah. he was just like, um, but So someone unexpectedly slime, unexpectedly creepy, who you don't expect to be creepy. Right. Like and Owen I, Wilson. Owen Wilson or Tom Hanks, oh, who really needs—I mean, he, he was needs, sort of a bad guy in Road to Perdition, but he was he still needs Tom to Hanks. Be a villain. I think, yeah, I think he needs to be—he could tap into his yeah, inner creepiness. Totally is, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, who would play you in the movie of you, oh, George? Man. You know, it's the the the. I can think of a couple of guys, but they're both too young, so they would have to play, you know, Some awkward prosthetics. college versions of me. Uh-huh. Or actually, one of them's thirty, but you know, Jay yeah. Baruchel. I don't know. Um, no do, idea. Who that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he's gonna love hearing this. Um, he he's don't gonna, listen, Jay. Turn it off. Right? What's it, Jared or Jade? What's Jay? Jay. Jay. Okay. He Jay was um, Baruchel. He he was in the movie This Is the End. He okay. was Seth Rogen's friend who okay. came in, yep. okay. tall skinny guy. Okay. Um or I'm hesitating. McLovin. <laughs> um because I mean I guess this is my self image. Wow. Well see that tells a lot of mm-hmm. that tells me a lot. But okay. but it's people who are dorky but secretly they're okay. You know, and I'm, yeah. I have no doubt that McLovin, and I feel terrible because he's been in lots of movies. Yeah, I'm sure. Including Pitch Perfect, um, very small part. Anyway, Poor every guy, time I see him, I'm sure he's I'm got happy. a name, but nobody he knows does, what it he is. Does. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. And yeah. who would play you? Um, I would have, I, th- I think Oliver Platt. Okay. Play me. Okay. Yeah, I would go with that. Sort of a big guy. Sure, and he can act. Sort of, and he can act, and uh, kind oh. of, kind of funny, kind of a, a jerk too. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's how I see myself. <laughs> oh, good, yeah, kind of a jerk. What about Robbie Coltrane? <laughs> yes, preferably supersized in, into right. into uh, what's his name? It's Hagrid, not, not Hodor. What's his name? <laughs> Hodor Hagrid. Either one. <laughs> okay, so thank you for listening. To our uh, true baloney, uh, how do we get a hold of? How do, if I have a great story, George? How do I tell you about it? How do I get in touch with you? You can send us a tweet at true baloney, b a l o n e y. We are there. We check it occasionally, even though we have zero followers right now. We are listening always, and we want to listen to you. Seriously, at true baloney, send us your story. Because if, if you don't, then I'll be forced to talk to George and get his stories. So, coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> okay. Thank you all. Thank Adios. you. Bye bye. <laughs>